0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everyone. This edition of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL and Bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores. For almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.eg to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. This week, it's the What the Hell Happened to the Miami Dolphins edition of the Patriots Report with Sam Marcou of the Perfectville Podcast. Sam, I'll say this. Reading your Twitter feed, you would think the Dolphins were out of it in the throes of a miserable season, an abject failure. What What gives, man?
1: Well, that's what it feels like right now, uh, Chris. I mean, it's it's a really weird feeling to have a winning record having beat the Buffalo Bills earlier this season, having beat the New England Patriots earlier this season, in control of our own destiny. If the season stopped right now as we were recording, the Dolphins would be in the playoffs. Yet for some reason at the pit of our stomach, and maybe it's just muscle memory, uh, when it comes to the Miami Dolphins late in a season, because we have been here before as a Miami Dolphins fan base, it feels like we are losing and that we have no shot at anything. And I think that has to do a lot with the fact that the team, at some points during the season, Chris played very well, looked like a Super Bowl contender. Tua was, you know, in talks for MVP, all that fun stuff, and now we look anything but. So I think that's why I sound depressed. On Twitter, I think that's why Miami Dolphins fans everywhere feel depressed. Even though we're 8-7 and seven and control of our own destiny, it feels feels like a long shot.
0: All right, walk me through this here. Four straight losses. And, you know, a lot of it, I think, at least from the outside, you can blame it on, look, it, it, it was a bad schedule. You know, you're going out west. You're playing two playoff teams on the road. That's a challenge. You come back east. You're playing Buffalo in the middle of a blizzard. Walk me through this here, though. Why have the Dolphins appeared to kind of hit the skids here after a really strong start?
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, if you look at this team as a whole, it's a very streaky team. They start the season three and zero. Tua gets injured. They lose the next three. They're now at five hundred. They win the next five on a very easy part of their schedule. The games that they were supposed to win, Chris, they won. So, kudos to them for that. And then they lose the four. And currently, where we're at now. I think the frustration for Miami Dolphins fans to kind of go back and, and link this to the first question here, Chris, is that the way they've lost these games over the last four have been wildly different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can almost be like if it was just linebackers giving up passes or, or long runs in four games straight and that's how you lost, you kind of almost feel better about that. Like, okay, at least we know what the problem is. You know, we have to diagnose this and fix this. They lose that Niner game um, mainly because Tua Tungavailoa physically couldn't execute a really good game plan. If you go back and watch the tape outside of that first drive, which was one pass to Trent Sherfield for a touchdown, he left so many points on the board against a very good 49ers defense. He overthrew receivers. Uh, Jalen Waddle had at least two touchdown passes that didn't happen because he couldn't place the ball where he normally is, which is Tua's calling card, right? So you lose that game because Tua physically just didn't do it against that Niners defense. You lose the Chargers game mainly because of a bad game plan like the Niners it was a really good game plan you watch that Chargers game it's like I don't even know what they're trying to do out there Mm. defensively it's third and goal from the 14 and you put everybody in the end zone what do the Chargers do they get 13 yards when they need 14 what do you think they're going to do on fourth and goal from the one yard line they're going to go for it and you give up a touchdown when it should have been it was just a bad game plan and then you go up to Buffalo and you play well especially Mm. on offense you play really well when no gave us a shot they actually match up really well with buffalo this year for whatever reason and at the end of the game you know you're up by eight in the fourth quarter the defense gives it up and it's a different way to lose every single time which is really really frustrating as a fan or somebody who's watching this team because you just don't know what to diagnose and then you get to the packers game special teams falls apart again Tua obviously is hurt which doesn't help anything in the second half so you just have this team that seems to have a different deficiency every single week during this losing season right or during this losing streak right now and that right now is such a big head scratcher which I think kind of again ties back into the first part of everyone just feeling bad about the team
0: and I know we're going to get into more stuff down the road but I'm glad you bring up Tua and I know that he's not playing or at least it looks like he's not going to play this week and I want to ask more about that down the road but Given the way he was unable to execute against the Niners in that instance, the one that you just brought up, and his late game struggles against the Packers, is there any sort of long term concern about him as you know the man in Miami? You know, when he when he plays and he's healthy, which is the key.
1: I think he's shown this year that he can play with any quarterback and he can run with any team. I mean, you see what he did against Baltimore in that fourth quarter. You see what he did against Buffalo the week after that. You see what he did against bad teams or mediocre defenses. He carved them up. I mean, you look at his stats and stats don't tell the whole story, but they t- they give you some color to the story. He's number one in QB rating in the league still. Uh, when it comes to his efficiency, when it comes to, you know, what he's doing in terms of pushing the ball down the field. I mean, everybody's narrative for the first two years is he couldn't throw the deep ball. Well, now he's leading the planet and throwing the ball deep to the point where some of us are looking at him going, why don't you do the check down every now and then? Why don't you look for <laughs> Raheem Mostert? why don't you look for Jeff Wilson? Do you don't have to throw it to Tyreek and Jalen every single time. Give your other receivers that are closer to the line a chance to eat in terms of getting the ball and turning and running it upfield. So he's changed the narrative there. And I think the national media has changed their narrative from he can't throw the ball, he can't play quarterback, to he can't stay healthy, which is a better narrative. Although I do think on some level, and maybe we can get into this, maybe not, it seems to me that the national media and local media on some level – has it out for Tua they want him to fail for one reason or another and the first one of he can't play quarterback I think has been negated by Mike McDaniel in this offense but that injury concern is very real and that whole narrative has shifted to well now he can't stay healthy therefore he can't play quarterback it's a very weird sort of like collusion amongst the media members I'm not talking about you of course but yeah I mean it's Mm -hmm. it's There are some concerns long term, to answer your question outright, and I think it has to do with the injuries. I mean, he's got two concussions that we know of. The hip is never going to be 100%. He's had bad ankles. He's never played a full season in the NFL. And you look at his build, and he's he's slight build. And if he gets hit, that's when you hold your breath as a Miami Dolphins fan or anybody
0: watching this team. I want to talk about that narrative. It's good that you bring that up because I I do think that there's some of that. How much of that do you think is tied back to his inability to connect with? And look, I'm not placing blame on either individual here, but his inability to connect with Brian Flores last year in the year before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I would just flip it a little bit and say it was Brian Flores' inability to connect with his quarterback. I mean, when you're the head coach, when you're the leader, Mm -hmm. you have to – it's almost like being a parent, you know, if your child – if your child isn't, you know, acting the right way, on some level, you have to be the one that extends that olive branch to the child and start over. If you're waiting for the child to come out and do it, it's probably never going to happen. And on some level, that relationship between the head coach and the quarterback, that head coach has to take that half a step forward. And you look at what Mike McDaniel did from the day he was hired, calling to tonga Tungvaluwa from the private plane saying, my job is to unlock you. That never happened with Brian Flores. I mean, it was it was a stark difference between the two of them. And I do think Tua is a very streaky player. He's a very emotional guy. And you look at the way he handles with Mike McDaniel versus Brian Flores. I mean, I think it came out on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago. He was actively looking at himself in the mirror during his first two seasons saying, do I suck? And I think that has a lot to do with Brian Flores not doing that extra effort to actually touch with Tua a ton of low. So to me, I would just flip it. That's the only thing. Now mm-hmm. there are reports that during the uh, season last year against the Tennessee Titans at halftime, a really bad game by Tua in that one. Uh, he went after Brian Flores in terms of verbally going after him saying that he was a bad leader and he wasn't helping the team and so on and so forth, which I think is part of the reason why Brian Flores was probably let go at the end of the season that year. Yeah. So to me, I look at that now and go, well, Tua was being a leader. He was basically being the voice of other Dolphins players in that locker room saying hey this isn't right you're not doing this the right way but I don't know I know know I'm rambling a little bit here I I I think Tua is a sensitive guy but I also know that he grew up being coached by Nick Saban so it's not like he hasn't had a disciplinarian in his life before it's not like he hasn't had his father push him from day one I mean if you haven't seen it there's a documentary about Tua Chris where he's basically anointed by his family that you will be the savior you will be the one that brings our name up to royalty status I mean Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. There's no more pressure than that that's going to be put on your shoulders and your family saying you are the chosen one. So to me, I, I I do put more blame on Brian Flores, but you know maybe there's something there. I mean, the fact that he didn't respond the way you would think a quarterback and a leader should respond to that type of criticism, maybe there's something there long-term. But again, I think really. Really, it's 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 more about the injuries at this point than anything else.
0: The other thing too, and you you know you bring up his history in Miami, and I have to wonder if in the back of his mind that whole flirtation, or at least Stephen Ross's flirtation with Tom Brady, plays into it as well. You know, you need yeah. to be able to be con- told consistently as the quarterback, you're the man, you're the yeah. guy, you're our guy, you're our number one. And over the years, whether it's been the messages he's been getting from Brian Flores, or the fact that you know there, there was the very public dalliance with with Tom Brady, I, I think that all kind of fake, you know. Beats into the conversation with
1: well not just Tom Brady but Deshaun Watson I mean let's be yeah, honest we yeah, were true. this close to to trading for Deshaun Watson last year and it was very open I mean there's certain members of the, the South Florida media that had really good relationships with Brian Flores and certain members of the media that have a really good relationship with Stephen Ross those stories were planted by them in my opinion to just kind of gauge the interest from the fans gauge the interest from the players that they were going after but you're right I mean they went after Tom Brady they l- kicked the tires on Deshaun Watson I mean if you're the quarterback of- and you're two tongue of own, you're like these people drafted me fifth overall and they want nothing to do with me. That mm-hmm. takes a toll. I mean, I think that's why Mike McDaniel had to go above and beyond, cutting up 700 plays, showing him that you can do this. And it, it showed in not only how he played on the field for the most part this season, Chris, but you can see his attitude. I mean, he would throw a touchdown and he's dancing right there in, in the middle of the field. He didn't do that last year when he did throw touchdowns occasionally. He would just kind of trot off to the sideline, different vibe altogether. But you're right. I mean, <laughs> Say what you will about Mike McDaniel and Tua Low, and I'm fans of both of them. The franchise in general, Stephen Ross, has been a failure of an owner. I'll just say that right now. And you can make a case that the other folks in the front office should be there or not. I don't know. I'm not here to make that decision yet. But I am in the camp that Stephen Ross probably should not be owning an NFL team any longer.
0: All right. Well, let's spin this forward here. Um, we know that, or at least we're fairly certain, we sit here on Thursday afternoon that Teddy Bridgewater is going to get the start in place of of Tua. And I think people here in New England are curious how much the offensive game plan might change at all with Teddy under center as opposed to Tua.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think Teddy has more zip on the ball. He's definitely got a stronger arm. You know, we saw Teddy Bridgewater, or Teddy Two Gloves, as we like to call him here in South (laughs) Florida, earlier this season against the Jets, and it was not a great game. I mean, he wasn't in there very long. He was in there against Cincinnati as well. The one thing that stuck out to me when Teddy took over was that Jalen Waddell really struggled with catching the ball from Teddy Bridgewater, and I don't know if that's the old classic thrown from a left-hander versus a right-hander or if it just happened to be, you know, uh, a coincidence that he dropped three or four very catchable balls when Teddy was in, whereas you know Tua would not. Maybe it had something to do with the velocity of the ball. Not sure. So I think the game plan that you will see uh, deployed for the rest of the season, which is two more games, of course, if not more in the playoffs, is that the Miami Dolphins have figured out a way to have an effective running game the last, call it, three to four weeks, even during this downturn in terms of uh, their losing streak. Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are almost both at five yards per carry. They looked very good over this last four games, especially Against Buffalo. They look good against Green Bay. They just didn't get the ball enough. So I would expect to see Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. uh, a little more often, um, probably especially on third and short situations as opposed to running the ball. Um, And I think the idea is if they can get a running game going, let's just use the Patriots this weekend. Then you'll start to see that single high safety look where they're going to bring the other safety down towards the block to help or uh, towards the box to help box, excuse me, to help uh, protect against the run. And then, then you might see Teddy go over the top, but I expect a lot of Tyree kill in this game. I think he is going to be the guy that's going to have to step up and be the captain and the leader of this offense. I expect Tyree kill to get double digit looks. I expect Jalen Waddle to be, Option 1B, and after that, I would expect a heavy dose of running backs, whether that's short passing game, running the ball, but more running backs, less down the field every single play.
0: That's certainly one thing where the Patriots have struggled again. and they faced a, a really a fleet of really good wide receivers over the last month and a half. You know, you can go back yeah. and look at, you know, Justin Jefferson and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, I, I know that we t- I think we talked about this back in September uh, before the Patriots Dolphins game, the opener. Uh, but but give me the name of one guy, a non-star, someone we wouldn't necessarily hear or you know know about here. The casual fan would know about here in New England who has a chance to make an impact on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I don't know if
1: he's a if he's a a no name at this point, but if you haven't been watching Christian Wilkins or if you're not paying attention to Christian Wilkins on the defensive line for the Miami Dolphins, then you're watching football the wrong way. I mean, this guy is an impending free agent. He is going to get the bag. I mean, if you look at what this guy does, he is an absolute disruptor. He, uh, if, if you look at how the Miami Dolphins have played against traditional running games this season, they've been fantastic. They struggle against running quarterbacks, but a traditional run game, they have been locked down. I mean, look what they did to Aaron Jones this past week against the Green Bay Packers. He got nothing. And a lot of that has to do with Christian Wilkins in the middle. He's a nose tackle. He's a defensive end, depending on the scheme. But he gets in there and he may plays even if he doesn't even if he's not the one that makes the tackle he's the one that basically pushes the entire line back and lets somebody else gobble that tackle up so uh, on defense I'll say Christian Wilkins for the Miami Dolphins is the player that the New England Patriots really need a scheme he's been the best player on defense bar none I don't know how he didn't make the pro Bowl. I don't know how he's not an all-pro selection the guy has been absolutely fantastic on offense that's a tough one because it is Tyree Kill and it is Jalen Waddle those are the two guys um, you know Jeff Wilson Jr. to me has has not been utilized enough by the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, He's kind of the backup running back, if you will. That guy runs very hard. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but it's very hard to take that guy down with just one defender. So if I had to throw it anywhere, it would be Jeff Wilson. Certainly not going to be Mike Kosicki, the disappearing man. Uh, Trent Sherfield occasionally shows up and does something, but then occasionally he doesn't. So I'm going to go Jeff Wilson on offense, Jeff Wilson Jr., excuse me, Jeff Wilson Sr., and uh, Christian Wilkins on defense.
0: All right, put your hoodie on. Play the role of Bill Belichick here. Give me a scenario where the Patriots win on Sunday. Give me three or four things the Patriots have to do to be able to defeat the Miami Dolphins.
1: Well, you, you said that with such authority. I started looking around to see if I had a hoodie on. I'm like, oh, he's
0: <laughs> telling me what to do here.
1: Um I don't have one nearby. Um, you know, I think the Patriots right now have more momentum, even though they have a losing record Uh, you know the Patriots have had their own struggles especially the last few weeks but those plays to end the game are such an anomaly I mean it's such you can't say like well they're gonna blow it on the last play of the game again I mean the fact that it happened two weeks in a row in terms of that weird lateral and then of course the fumble by Ramondre Stevenson who's a very good player by the way you can't bank on that I, I think if you're the New England Patriots you have to figure out a way to run the ball in the non-traditional sense, whether that's you know a jet sweep by a wide receiver or some sort of trickeration, if you will, to get the the ball into somebody who can run. Because the Miami Dolphins don't do well outside of the traditional run game stop. When it comes to throwing the ball, you know Mac Jones is going to have to stand in there and, and and find the right guy to throw the ball to. I really do think this is going to be a low-scoring game, just because of all you know all uh, factors that we're, we're talking about here. It's going to come out of the defense. If I'm Bill Belichick, I am scheming this defense, uh, looking to get the ball to turn over, looking for Teddy Bridgewater, who hasn't been in a game since about week five, force him to beat you, you know, see if he can go be bracket, Tyree kill, see if he can get the ball to Jalen Waddle. And that's it. I think that's, that's what you have to do is you have to get in Teddy Bridgewater's face. He's not a guy who's going to run the ball very often. He's, he's somewhat statuesque back there scheme it up to actually, you know, play defense and, and knock them down. Teddy Bridgewater can fumble the ball every now and then. He doesn't have tack on those two gloves that he wears. So it, to me, it's got to be a defensive, you know, hold by the New England Patriots. And then on offense, you got to get the ball to somebody in space. The Miami Dolphins haven't been great in terms of open field tackling this season. So whether it is a, you know, a run game or something in the flat and let them turn it up and and, and make somebody miss um, that will happen and and big gains from there.
0: One of the things that stands out to me, at least looking at the numbers is, and we've talked about this before, Miami struggles when it comes to special teams. And oh. you you just mentioned the fact that Miami struggles with tackling in space. And then yesterday, Wednesday, we get the news that Marcus Jones is out with a concussion. He seems to me the kind of guy, he, he's, he's ascending faster and faster. And he's becoming yeah. more and more of a playmaker each and every week in all three phases. If the Patriots have him, that would be a huge step in the right direction for him against Miami. Yeah, you know,
1: and and I'm hoping you guys can sign Julio Jones in the offseason. You guys don't have enough Joneses on the uh, New England Patriots. I think there's four, if you know, Mac Jones. Well, Mac Jones, Jones,
0: Jack Jones, Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, and I know I'm missing one. Well, that's four right. right... Yeah, that's enough. Yeah.
1: And you guys, you know what I like about I'll give the Patriots credit here, which I can't believe I just said that. But you guys haven't gone the route of putting the first initial. Yes. On the the jersey, which you can't because you have two J. Joneses and two M. Joneses. Yeah. So you really can't do that. But uh, it's just Jones, and I like that. I don't. I don't like when they have the first initial of the name on there. It's like, who cares? There's two Joneses. I mean, go get Chandler Jones and and Julio Jones, and let's just you know. Just be done Joneses. with it. Yeah. Well,
0: one of, one of the other things too is, you know, you have a Mac Jones and a Marcus Jones and in instances like that, you'd go MA, you know, there'd be a different, so you can't do that. So maybe no. we get into a situation with Jack Youngblood where you put the whole name on the back of the Jersey. Who knows? Just,
1: <laughs> if you are going to do that, then I agree. You put the whole name, not just the initial, not just the first two letters. I want the full name first, middle, and last on that Jersey. Make that big <laughs> rainbow. When you see those long names, like Tui, <laughs> Tui sopo or something, but no, and you're right. It's special teams. You know, earlier this season, there was a pretty famous play where uh, the punter for the Miami Dolphins, Thomas Morstead, was punting out of his own end zone, punted the ball, booted it as hard as he could right into the rear end of Trent Scherfeld. Um, And it was a safety, of course. And uh, I, I posted on Twitter this week, Chris, like, if I could describe the Miami Dolphins season in one picture, it would be that one because they are pretty much the last in all categories for special teams, kick returns, punt returns, you know, defending kickoffs, defending punt return. It's just, it's been a nightmare and it's not anything that anybody's really talking about there's a lot of scrutiny about the defensive coordinator, you know, some scrutiny about Mike McDaniels, a rookie head coach and some of the decisions he's made or hasn't made, but special teams has almost lost the Miami Dolphins two or three games this season. And They've certainly contributed to losses. So that's an area where, again, the New England Patriots usually do pretty well from what I can tell on special teams. That might be another area where uh, the the Patriots can steal some points
0: all right. Let me give you a nightmare scenario to cap off what is the is second half of a of a rough season for for Miami. The Patriots beat Miami in the cold up here. You know, you mentioned, you know, this is a movie we've seen before. Yeah, the the Patriots ended because I've seen that a million times. Where a good Miami team comes up to New England in December or January, you know, last year aside, and you know they knock off the Patriots. Or two years ago, aside, and they they end up knocking off the Patriots. New England wins, and then Buffalo next week is locked in for that number one spot and rest their starters. And the Patriots beat Buffalo, and then you complete that comeback if you're New England, driving Miami out of the playoff picture. Would that just be the cherry on top of the Sunday, the misery Sunday? For Miami fans,
1: you know, I think the last two seasons, Miami's ended with a winning record, and they have been eliminated in week seventeen effectively to where week eighteen now, uh, I guess last year would have been the first year for week eighteen. Um, it really didn't mean much. And the scenario that I see is we lose to the Patriots. We drop to eight and eight. We're still in control if we can beat the Jets for the most part. And then we somehow get eliminated prior to the Jets Dolphins game ending. And then we beat the Jets and go nine and eight and miss the playoffs yet again. Yeah. Again, I've read this book. There's so many star Wars movies and I've seen all of them when it comes to the Miami dolphins version of it. So it would not surprise me. I mean, I still think there's a little bit of hope right around here where the heart is Chris to where Teddy Bridgewater can come out and just play a game of catch with Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. And we put this to bed this week, but I don't know. Looking ahead, I mean, what's your best case scenario if you are the Miami Dolphins? You, you go to the playoffs and you get to go to Arrowhead as your yeah. As and your then it's the same.
0: It's the same feeling in New England. The, the idea being that look, you are in the you are in the tournament. As you know, my co-host, like Garrett Blunt, says, and anything can happen. And look, Bill yeah. in the postseason is usually pretty good, but really, you know, the numbers suggest that you are just a a speed bump for you know Kansas City or whoever. You know, at right. this point, yeah. I mean, I,
1: I think that. The reason, the justification, outside of being a fan, of course, why I want the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs is that we pushed all our chips in this year, Chris. I mean, we went out and got Tyreek Hill. We went and got Bradley Chubb, which has been a disaster for the Miami Dolphins, in my opinion. They don't have a first-round pick. They don't have a second-round pick. You make the playoffs, and at least it justifies the fact that you would have been picking later in that first round as opposed to like 15 or 16, where maybe if you are thinking a new quarterback or you're thinking a running back, especially the kid out of Texas or something like that you might have a shot at we don't have a shot at any of that so you want to make the playoffs and at least justify all those first round picks being you know shoved away for these current players and then you go well at least we made the playoffs it's better than we've been before but yeah i it's it's really difficult and and just mapping this out let's just say you beat kansas city somehow some way tyreek hill has a revenge game and you beat kansas city in the wild card round and everybody's high-fiving be the first time miami would win a playoff game in 20 some odd years your reward for that is to go back to buffalo and play Buffalo again
0: for a third time. But that's a good matchup for you. I mean, that, that that, at least in theory on what you mentioned before and watching the two games play out, that's a, decent matchup if you're the Dolphins not a not a if, horrible matchup it's a decent matchup
1: if you have two under center I there don't you know go. if that stays the same if Teddy Bridgewater or Scarlett Thompson is there so there th- that is the caveat but you're right I mean it's it, I, I could only hope to be so lucky to see that matchup happen but we got to get through New England first if you're a Miami Dolphins fan and then you got to you know you owe the Jets one for earlier this season and I think it's kind of funny Chris because we're talking a little bit about this The AFC East, about a month ago, was the, in my opinion, the strongest division you can make a case for the NFC East. And since then, Buffalo has moonwalked into the playoffs the Jets, the Patriots, and the Dolphins are all limping. You know, as my co host said, we're crawling through glass to get to the playoffs right now. And it's a weird feeling. Again, a month ago, you're like, man, there's a bunch of killers in this division. And now you're like, well, three of them have been killed. So <laughs> it's it's really, really weird uh to see that change so rapidly.
0: Give me one team out of the AFC that's that's your pick right now. Is it Buffalo? I'm assuming it's either Buffalo, Kansas City, or Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I don't like any of those teams. I mean, just as a, as a yeah. fan of the NFL, I'm not a fan of any of them. Um, I, I think Kansas City, I, I guess I would root for Kansas City, because I think the narrative when Tyreek Hill left and came to the Miami Dolphins is that Kansas City was going to take a step back. And, you know, what everything the Raiders did in the offseason and the Broncos and, and the Chargers, who do look better, everyone predicted that the Kansas City Chiefs would take a step back, and they haven't. They haven't missed a beat. So, I think my money would be on Kansas City. That's a really, really veteran, gritty team that knows how to win in the playoffs. They have good coaching. They've got great players on both sides of the ball. So I would say Kansas City. I mean, interestingly enough to me, if there's a team that really could make some noise, if they can win next week in week 18, the Jacksonville Jaguars really could be an interesting case for the playoffs. I mean, hope against hope, I suppose. But uh, I'd love to see them in and, and see what they could do.
0: I am still all in, at least right now in Buffalo. I I just, the way they're playing, they're just a wagon. And if they stay home, that's the thing. I mean, you guys know as well as anyone that Buffalo now in Buffalo is just, I want to say they're a lock, but they're the closest thing to a lock right now in the AFC. Well,
1: look, Kansas City and Buffalo in Buffalo for the AFC championship game. That's a game that people are going to tune in to watch if it gets Mm -hmm. to that point. And, uh, I would I would definitely watch that as well. But I, to me, I, I can't root for Buffalo and Good Conscious on any point. The worst scenario for me, Chris, it would be uh, the 49ers coming out of the NFC because I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and I can't stand that franchise just because I'm exposed to it every single day. And the Buffalo Bills coming out of the AF. I don't even. I think I'd have to retire from watching football at that point. I'd start looking at NBA scores because uh, I, I don't know who I would even pick for that.
0: <laughs> the closest thing for. For yeah, you know, for for a New England fan, was the two thousand World Series between the Yankees and the Mets, right? It's just yeah. just awful. You just go, I I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to watch anymore. I'm done. Yeah, as, I can anymore.
1: As a Los Angeles Lakers fan, I just experienced the Celtics and Warriors, and I was like, I guess I'm rooting <laughs> for the Warriors. I don't I don't know what I don't know what to do here. I just kind of turned it off and was like, I'm gonna just go watch some baseball or something.
0: All right, give me a prediction for Sunday as we sit here again. There's some some possibilities. You know, we don't know. Obviously there's some injury questions on both sides of the ball for for both teams but but give me a prediction for Sunday
1: yeah, I was looking at the injury report. It looks like a December or, it or know, early January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It would
1: be, be a shorter list. It would be like, these four people are healthy for both teams. Um, you know, look, you came on here week one, and I, I thought it was very big of you. you. You predicted the Miami Dolphins to win against your New England Patriots week one, and turns out you were correct. The Miami Dolphins are not good on the road. They don't have their starting quarterback right now. There's a lot of questions. They've lost four in a row. And until, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, if black is hitting roulette, you keep betting black until otherwise – Going on the road in January, I suppose, against the New England Patriots to, I think, have a little bit more momentum, even if the record doesn't show it. I'm going to go with the Patriots, and my Dolphins fans out there are going to hate me for it, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think Miami Dolphins have a really tough time getting the ball into the end zone. They're good between the 20s right now, but they haven't been able to punch it in on a consistent basis. I'm going to go 17-13 New England Patriots.
0: I think that's a good neighborhood. I I do. I I agree with you. And again, like, look, I've seen this story a million times before. I remember the 2002 game. And look, that was 20 years ago now where the Dolphins had a 10-point lead with like five minutes to go and they ended up spitting a bit. And just I've seen so many good Miami teams come north and just – lay an egg really in, in December and January in the same way that the Patriots when they go down to you know when they go down to Miami yeah. in September it's the same scenario and so I think that plays into it I think the lack of Tua plays into it I also yeah. think that one thing to to look for here one thing and, and I'll give you this tip every time Bill talks about a quarterback and says he can make all the throws that's a sign that he's got him figured out you go back ah. and you look at some of these press conferences and then you look at what happens on Sunday. So if he says, I don't think he said it this week, but if he's asked about Teddy Bridgewater and says, well, you know, he can make all the throws. That's a sign that Bill is is has got him. So look, with that being said, I think 1713 New England is probably a, a good place to be. One other thing to look for. On Sunday, if you're the Patriots, this is something that stuck out to me. We talked about end-of-game situations, end-of-half scenarios, too, for this team. I think, I have to go back, it's either five or six of their losses. They've allowed a touchdown in the last two minutes of the first half. They've had defensive breakdowns, and that's something really, if you're a Patriots fan, to look for. It's not the only reason that they've lost those games, but it's, it's not completely coincidental.
1: No, I, and my feeble memory might be failing me, but I think that happened in week one with Jalen Waddell on exactly. that exactly, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know if it was within the first in the last two minutes, but it was really close. It was right yeah. there. You know, you brought up that 2002 game, and in factually, you are correct. Five minutes left, we're up by 10. It was actually three minutes <laughs> when that all happened. Uh, and then, of course, Mark Royals forever in my brain with a shank pun of about 25 yards mm-hmm. uh, after you had Ricky Williams in the backfield on your own one. And you, you choose to throw it with Jay Fiedler three times in a row. Thank you very much, David Wanstead, for that one. That one We went from being AFC East champs to out of the playoffs in three minutes. It was an insane turnaround. Uh, at least this time, we were, were doing it over the course of like five games. I mean, at least we're extending this pain out, and it's not just a bullet hole to the head. But um, no, I, that's interesting feedback about uh, Bill Belichick. I'm going to start paying attention more to his uh, his, his press conferences. And, and hearing the coach speak, that means something from Bill exactly. Belichick.
0: Exactly. The other thing too is um my, my favorite go to Belichickism is nobody works harder than this guy. Fill in the blank. If you go back over the years and you Google Bill Belichick and nobody works harder, there is probably it's a list of like 30 to 40 people. So and that goes all like, the way back to two thousand. It
1: would be good to have a rosetta stone of Bill Belichick down, down the road, right? Like once he retires, maybe that's his next source of income. Yeah, we can just, you know, transcribe and 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 translate. Everything that Bill Belichick really meant when he said this, it really meant that. That would be a good read.
0: We'll talk. I'll email you the list. I I, I have a, I have a growing list here of, you know, Bel- Belichick red flags from the press conference. This means this, and this means this, and this means this. Thank you so much for taking the time today, my friend.
1: No, thank you very much. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. I wish your team maybe a little bit less than that this Sunday. But uh, one way or the other, we'll have some answers after uh, New Year's celebrations.
0: I love it. Sounds good, and we'll talk soon. All right, see you. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. want to remind you one more time, this edition of the Patriots Report has been brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. For the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events, head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.